Back in 2018, over 100 million people watched the League of Legends finals held in South Korea. And FaZe Clan makes the comeback and wins the round 11! That's more viewers than the Super Bowl that year. Competitive video games, or esports, are more mainstream than ever. Before COVID, live competition sold out venues like Madison Square Garden. It is loud in here. Dueling cheers and dueling teams here on Ilios. And during COVID, the popularity continues to grow. Brands like BMW and MasterCard have jumped aboard. That's This Week on Brainstorm, the podcast about how tech is reshaping our world. Hi, everyone. I'm Michal Evram. And I'm Brian O'Keefe. But today, Michal, I'd like you to call me by a different name. I want you to call me Bedazzle. <laughs> really? That's the gamer name you're going with? Yeah, that's my gamer name. All right. I, I kind of feel like I need a name too then. And I, I want like a spirit animal name, like a bird or what do you think? Sea otter? Can I just be sea otter? I think I have to shorten it to otter. Otter. All right. For listeners who are unaware of how popular esports have gotten, let us paint a picture for you. Stadiums full of tens of thousands of people and maybe millions watching online. There's fans in costumes. They're going crazy. They have their faces painted. They're high-fiving. It's sort of like being in an NFL game, except on stage, there's a bunch of people playing video games. And there are gamers wearing headsets sitting in front of computers. And that's what the fans are cheering for. And there are teams all over the country playing in these sports and, in fact, around the world. There's the London Royal Ravens, the Paris Legion, the Los Angeles Gorillas. Playing games like League of Legends or Counter-Strike is now an actual professional career, at least for some who are good enough. Players can make a lot of money because there's a big audience for this, which has only been fueled by the pandemic. Um, and that, in turn, is fueling interest from brands who are sponsoring games and athletes. To get a sense of what it's like to be at the center of all this, we talked to a big-time esports athlete. His name is Dylan Price, and his gamer handle is Attach. He plays Call of Duty for the Minnesota Rocker, and when he was 18, he became the youngest player ever to win a Call of Duty World Championship. So, Brian, I'm more of a Mario Kart player. What, what is this game really all about? Is it just a shoot-em-up type of game? Well, yeah, on some level, it's shoot 'em up. I mean, Attach is a submachine gunner, and this is definitely a first-person shooter game. But it's not just, you know, go in blasting and that's it. It's much more sophisticated when you get to this level. So it's like a four-on-four team sport, and there's a lot of skill involved in team chemistry and communication. And there's different strategy goals for the teams in different versions of the game. Like you might be trying to hold a strategic point on a map and defend it, or you might be trying to capture a certain strategic point, but blowing people up and shooting them along the way. And really, I was super fascinated to learn more from Dylan about what it's like to be a professional esports athlete. Yeah, so a day in the life of pretty much all professional gamers in the call of Call of Duty. I don't want to speak for other esports because I'm not sure. But in Call of Duty, our team gets on around 12 noon and then start warming up and start our practice at 1. Practice with the team from like 1 to around 5 or 6 p.m. And then you can either not play Call of Duty again or you can get on and play some online tournaments or some like pickup games to try and get some more practice in. 
So you're a player on the Minnesota Rocker, right? That's a yes. team. Yes. So what does that mean to be on a team? Who runs the team? You know, like how do you do you have a coach? How do you coordinate with your your teammates and and like what's day to day like? The uh, Call of Duty franchise league has twelve Call of Duty teams in it. There's a London team, there's a Paris team, there's a team in Canada, and then the rest are all over uh, in different areas in the United States. It is kind of just like a regular sport when it comes to watching some film on the other team, watching some of your own film back. We have a coach, we have an analyst who oversees all of our scrims and kind of has the extra, extra pair of eyes and ears while we're playing to see what we can be doing better and trying to help us. And then on Rocker, we have people who will coordinate uh, the interviews like we're doing right now because just growing the brand is also very important making sure the team is growing and also the players on the team's brands are growing as well how has the world of esports changed just from when you started doing these first tournaments where you're maybe competing for a couple hundred dollars to first getting into the professional aspect of it to now where it seems like it's growing by leaps and bounds there's a whole professional league and there's all these sponsorship opportunities when it comes to Call of Duty and esports as a whole, it's been crazy to see how it's grown from the early days where we would go to these tournaments or watch these tournaments from home and there would be like a handful of people watching in the stands. A huge prize pool back then was like $2,500 for the whole entire tournament. And nowadays we're having a million dollar, multi-million dollar tournaments at the end of the year. There's thousands and thousands of people in these arenas watching these games, even more watching from home. So it's just been insane. You know, you have large social media followings. I see you have over 300,000 followers on YouTube, I think. And, you know, Twitch is a big platform. How do you make money? How are endorsements part of the package for professional athlete and esports? And how does it break down? And like, what are the opportunities that are opening up for you? First, if you're a professional player or you're a big content creator for an organization, you will be getting a monthly salary, which will uh, just that would be like kind of your main pay, I'd say like that's probably your your biggest depending on what size you are as a content creator. And then a lot of people do YouTube and stream as well. And then when it comes to Twitch, it's kind of an interesting one because people are seeing you play live, you're interacting with the chat, they can like subscribe to you which means they pay like $5 a month, they get some emotes, they get like ad-free viewing, they are entered into some giveaways and whatever else the streamer wants to give to their community. What has been your parents' reaction to watching this? They probably, you know, when you were playing Call of Duty, uh, they were probably thinking, oh, that's, that's fine. <laughs> but they weren't imagining that it was going to become your profession. Have they been surprised and supportive, you know, as things have developed for you? Yeah, definitely. When I was younger, they, of course, wanted me to make sure I was doing good in school. I was going to all my sports practices and going outside, but no one expected this to happen to gaming. No one knew this gaming would get to this level. My mom would take me to like a couple tournaments here and there. So I had to make sure I kept my grades up and I was uh, behaving pretty well. I would say right when I started having like a couple thousand followers, like over 10,000 followers and making a little bit of money from it, they're like, okay, this might be something. And then when I won the the world championship when I was 18 and uh, each player on our team made a hundred thousand dollars. They're like, okay, this is, this, I guess this is a real thing now. <laughs> so now they're all in and I'll just be hanging out downstairs whenever I'm back visiting home. They're like, what are you doing on the couch? Why aren't you up there practicing or playing or streaming or something now? So it's the complete opposite from what it was when I was younger, when they're like, will you get off that game? So now they just expect me to be playing all day. 
So basically what he's saying is that when my kids are spending a bunch of time on their screens, I should encourage it because they're just training. Yeah, I'm afraid to tell my 12-year-old that uh, this could be a lucrative future career because we don't really need any more Nintendo Switch time right now. You know, even in the career of Attach, going from the time where he was 18 and he became world champion and made that big payday to now when he's 24, I mean, I think the whole world of esports has grown up and gotten a lot bigger. And these guys are, uh, you know, they're kind of multimedia stars. They're not just doing well in the game and making money in the game. They make money on the side and they maintain these different social channels. Like Attach has more than 300,000 followers on YouTube. And he puts out a regular flow of videos and, you know, his fans watch that and that elevates his own brand and it's a channel for him to monetize. And so with all that money and, you know, this sort of pipeline of development, you can see why there are a lot of people from other parts of the sports world and other parts of the entertainment world coming into this. And for instance, soccer legend David Beckham is a co-owner of an esports team and music superstar Drake and Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots. Yeah, there is clearly a lot of overlap in several different ways between traditional sports and the esports world. I spoke with Johanna Ferris, who's the head of leagues at Activision Blizzard and also the commissioner of the Call of Duty League. She's basically the head of esports there, and she used to work for the NFL and says pro esports aren't that different from traditional pro sports. Give me a a little bit of like a state of the state. I know Overwatch has, the league has been around for a few years. For Call of Duty, what's the status? How many teams are there? How does it work? What's the championship? Like, just kind of walk me through. Sure. So Call of Duty as an esport has been on the map for a long time. What's different is our ability to stand up more of a structure akin to the traditional sports leagues, which is really what we put on the map about a year ago in early 2020 to say, hey, we can actually harness some of the biggest and boldest brands in all of gaming and also work with some of the biggest and boldest brands and minds in all of traditional sports to do something that hasn't ever been done before. And we're entering our second season here. So to your question about what is the championship, it's very much like the Super Bowl. It's very much like the NBA Finals, right? We had a roaring August just a few months ago where we stationed our championship in, frankly, bedrooms all over North America, just given COVID and not being able to be in a sold-out arena the way that we originally had wanted to. But we hit high water marks. We, we saw enormous growth. It ended up being the most watched Call of Duty eSport event in history. And again, we're talking 10 plus years. So I think we, uh, we feel really well positioned, despite all of the challenges in our launch year, to bring something really new and fresh to the table with the best and the brightest minds. So you touched on this a bit, but I'd love to hear more about just the impact of the past year and of COVID on the Call of Duty League. We all watched the impact on other pro sports leagues where you have to be in person or you can't play football. I realize there's an in-person component to esports as well for like these championships, for example. How quickly were you able to pivot and did you take a hit because of COVID like other leagues did? We did take that hit. What was really amazing, though, was we were able to lock arms with all of our players, all of our you know, employees, of course, here at the, the league office, company-wide, and all of our ownership groups to get back on track in a matter of weeks. 
And I think one of the biggest wins we've seen, especially since last season coming into this season, are the dedicated servers that we have all over the continent where we can enable low latency gameplay that really is first rate in effectively ensuring that these matches are as close to gold standard as we can get it when we're not all on the same main stage. How does the league find the players? How do the teams Mm -hmm. sign them on? And like, how are they discovered? So it links a little bit to the challenger system. If you just slept on it and woke up tomorrow and said, you know what, I I want to try out this thing and I want to go all the way. You can drop into the games and play league play and enter challengers-based amateur tournaments and ladders that are really online mechanisms for us to be able to see in a points-based system who out there is playing the best Call of Duty. But we've got scouting teams. We just launched a scouting series for exactly that purpose, to enable our 12 teams, general managers and coaches to assess who's coming up the ranks, Do I like my roster? Do I want to continue with my stars? Do I want to find somebody else who may be up and coming? And we're going to continue to try and spotlight that through dedicated broadcasts and dedicated events that just bring the amateur community together with the pro community in a really seamless way. And can you also just shed some light on how players are paid? Are these like long-term contracts like you see in the professional sports world and other leagues? And give me a sense for how much money you can actually make as a player. It varies. So, you know, I won't, sure. I won't get into too many of the specifics on financials. But yes, it's exactly like you would think about, you know, recruiting or scouting for a, a traditional pro team in terms of long-term contracts. Some of them are short-term. We've given teams the flexibility in our roster construction roles to kind of figure out what works best for them. But again, these are the LeBron James of their sport. These are mega, mega influencers in addition to being pro elite athletes. So it's a pretty sophisticated business at this moment in time where we have our teams really understanding who they want as their stars and and what contracts they want to devise. So Michal, esports is not only exciting for the fans, but it's great business for the video game companies like Activision because the two things work together in sync. Like Call of Duty, every year a new version of the game comes out. And that new version of the game is actually the basis for a new season of the Call of Duty League. So the game comes out, the professional players learn how to play it along with everybody else, and then they plunge into their season and they play a whole season leading up to the Super Bowl of Call of Duty. And then there's a break you know, between seasons and a new version of the game comes out, and then everybody learns to play the new one. So you can see it's like a brilliant virtuous cycle. Yeah, and in this sense it's actually different from, you know, traditional pro sports leagues because it's not like the NFL comes out with like a new version of football every new season, you know, there may be tweaks in some of the rules along the way uh over the years, but to actually be able to, you know, delight fans with new versions uh and twists on the game that you're selling is a different business model. So we're talking about this explosive growth in esports, but in truth, this has been around for at least a decade, right? Right. And our next guest has really been around for a lot of that growth. Marty Strenzelwilk started out as a fan and a gamer, but then he got really into watching competitive esports 
and he eventually started his own esports team, which he's since sold. If you want to get a sense for just how mainstream esports have gotten, go no further than Marty's current job. He's the head of competitive gaming for One Team Partners, which was co-founded by the National Football League Players Association and the Major League Baseball Players Association, along with Redbird Capital. And basically, his job is to bring esports into the traditional sports fold and vice versa, and to see if there are opportunities for traditional athletes to get into gaming. We often say that we represent all athletes. So the fact that we represent rugby and the NFL doesn't make either one less or more important to our portfolio, right? Because they're all athletes. That's where I compare esports as well. A Call of Duty player, a League of Legends player, a Counter-Strike player, those are athletes as well. They're just playing a different game. So I'm sure you've heard this a million times, but a, a lot of traditionalists who don't really maybe understand esports would say, but they're not athletes, they're playing video games. So how do you address that when you get that question or critique? Well, that implies that athletics is just about how big your muscles are or how fast you can throw a ball, when athletics is about the entire package of being an expert at a game. An athlete for football is not necessarily the best athlete for golf, right? It's a different set of skills. Same thing applies playing Counter-Strike or playing Dota. If I'm a Counter-Strike player, I have to have reflexes that are trained and honed to such an incredible degree because it's fraction of a second reaction time changes winning or losing a game. The intensity of that reaction is not necessarily the same playing Hearthstone, a trading card game, right? It's not the same playing golf. In fact, reaction time is not at all a factor in golf. So I think that word athletics, we tie too much to the idea of muscles and strength when athletics is really about having the best skill set possible to be a victor at that particular game. How big is the world of esports today? I mean, I've read some estimates that the esports market this past year was a billion dollars or a little under a billion dollars. How much has it grown, you know, since you've been involved and, and what kind of growth are you seeing right now? One of the stats that came out that is is probably the most direct is about a half a billion people watched esports last year. Um, you know, in 2016, I think we were at 250 million. So we've doubled that in, you know, the last four years. I think that if you look at it, the overall health too, the word esports gets tossed around instead of individual games like Call of Duty, League of Legends, whereas we don't just say sports, right? We say the NFL, NBA, NHL. So League of Legends, very healthy, very robust, strong ecosystem. Then there's like middle tier, there's lower tier, just like you do in traditional sports, right? Today, horse racing doesn't do that great like it did, you know, 30, 40 years ago. That's the right. ebb and flow of viewership. We see the same thing. So I think from a metrics perspective, it's hard to like latch onto one for the overall esports industry and more look at individual sports, if you will. What are the demographics of this in terms of who watches, you know, men versus women, different age groups, and how does that correspond to who plays the games? Is it mostly, you know, heavily skewed towards men or is it pretty even gender wise? And, and do men compete with women? 18 to 35 is definitely like that core demographic, the hard demographic to get. It is a, an amazing demo that we get really easily in esports. They are affluent. They've gone to not just college, but grad school a lot of times. They have money to spare. They're tech savvy. They are the ideal consumer for most brands. It is primarily male for in a lot of ways today. And I think that's changing over time as more of gaming is uh, made accessible to females. Accessible is the wrong word. Made so that it isn't just targeted at men, right? Like that's how gaming was for so long. It was made for boys. And so boys grew up with it. And less and less of that happens today. I have two daughters and they play plenty of games that are meant either for
for women or for anybody, right? So I want to dig into the financials of this a little bit. Like, what are the sources of revenue? What's the landscape for endorsements? And how is all of this evolving as the popularity continues to grow? So five, six, seven years ago, players were making basically prize money and a teeny tiny salary. I'm talking a couple hundred bucks a month. We are long gone from those days. Um, so today there are players making north of a million dollar salary before bonuses, before prize money. Um, there are prize pools that get up. North into- of a million dollars just in salary. Yeah, just in salary. Yeah. Uh, the average salary that came out, this was in a journal, uh, one of the publications, so I don't know the source behind it, was that the average salary last year in the North American League of Legends Championship Series was $400,000. Who's paying that salary? These are the teams. So think of this in terms of like traditional sports. You have your team owners who hire the players you want to win. So you go after the best ones. Of course, who's being paid the most money, the highest value players from social media following, from skill on the field, experience, et cetera. Um, And to your other question about where the monetization is, is it's very much like traditional sports in a lot of ways. So it is going to be sponsorships. It is going to be merchandise, broadcast rights, food and beverage, ticket sales for live events, which obviously during COVID is a little different. Um, But then the other piece is like, we're digital first. So we're able to monetize in ways that traditional sports isn't doing. So go watch a Call of Duty match this weekend, and you're gonna see that you can buy skins in game for your character of the different teams, right? So you can dress up as your favorite team while you're playing Call of Duty. If you're going to watch a League of Legends match, you can get a little icon next to your name that says, I'm a fan of this team. And by the way, it's only available during the season. So I've got the 2016 Splice icon. You can never buy it again. So it's a bit of a collector's item. Those are kind of moving the needle to the next stage where we can monetize digital in a way that traditional sports hasn't even begun to touch. And then you can even separate to what the players and creators are able to do outside of their sport, right? Because they can go stream on Twitch. They can create YouTube videos. They can create themselves a creator persona that monetizes separately. What about brands? Has there been an evolution where sort of mainstream Fortune 500 consumer products brands are coming in or, you know, maybe sort of surprising brand affiliations that are starting to emerge in the esports world? It's funny because now that we're in 2021, it's almost like who isn't in from the major brands and at various levels, but you've got like MasterCard's a main sponsor of League of Legends, whereas five years ago, it was Red Bull, it was Monster Energy, it was Corsair peripherals, like it was endemic stuff, right? Like energy drinks, mice and keyboards, computer manufacturers. What you're seeing today, though, is how do I reach an 18 to 34 year old? Well, this is a really, really cost efficient way to do it and a really authentic way to do it. Now today, someone can come in, Audi, BMW, Mercedes, like all these luxury car manufacturers, which outnumber at this point, I think the traditional car manufacturers, because why? Well, I mentioned the demographic. They have money to spend, they're highly educated. So who's more likely to come sponsor, BMW or Chevy? So I would say surprising and unsurprising in that they've, the demographic has almost driven a little bit of the spend in that luxury car area or the tech area, but like also unsurprising now that almost every brand knows they've got to get in. They just don't always know what the right way to do that is. So, you know, I personally have not really gotten into esports as a spectator, but I can certainly see the appeal, not just for fans, but obviously for brands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, talking with Marty and talking with Attach really kind of opened my eyes into how big an opportunity this is for the brands, because we're talking about really large audiences, and they're exactly like the demographics of younger professionals that these brands are trying to reach. And I think there's a real fast education process going on 
among the brands about how big this world is. They're used to sponsoring the Masters or the U.S. Open or these other kind of traditional sports events. And this is something new, but that doesn't mean it's not something they need to pursue. They absolutely want to be in this space. All right, Bedazzle, what's your favorite game? Well, I'm kind of old school. I like games based on sports, so I'm really into FIFA. And uh, does Bedazzled have any superpowers? I think I'm credible. I'm credible. You know, when I when I face off against my 12-year-old, we go back and forth. And I have that old school kind of motor memory. You know, when I was a kid playing my Atari, I'm pretty sure that I set the world record for Missile Command. The um, The Polaroid I took of the screen never really came out, but... If we could find it, I'm sure I would be in the Guinness Book at this point. Well, and sadly, it sounds like you peaked well before there were $100,000 prizes for gamers. So, you know. I peaked in so many ways well before that. Oh, well, bedazzled. Another day. All right. That is it for today. We'll be back next week with more talk on how tech is reshaping our world. Brainstorm Podcast is a production of Fortune Media. Our show is written and produced by Wyatt Orm and edited by Nicole Vergala. Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds NYC. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. That was good, right? At the it beginning? was. It was gold. Yeah. Can you recreate that magic? Come on, bedazzled. That's what I needed. I needed to be validated. Bedazzled, bedazzled, bedazzled. Double down on bedazzled, my friend.